Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Mitch Michaels here in the Santa Monica studio, a couple days into Wimbledon and uh, already lots of drama, lots to recap here on the Tennis Podcast Network. Hope everybody out there is enjoying the action at the All England Club and good treat today. We've got broadcaster Alex Faust in here. Alex, thanks for joining the show and I know you've been a busy man throughout this entire run at Wimbledon and uh, also getting some national exposure doing some NHL games. So glad, <laughs> no. glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's, uh, it's been fun. I, uh, I want to start though with the fact that, like I said, you've been a busy man. You've been covering a lot of, a lot of sports, a lot of events from tennis. We chatted back during the U S open. You had some college football in there. I think you snuck in a basketball game and, uh, again, congrats on the NHL, the, uh, remote NHL coverage from mm. Connecticut calling some big games there. I, I guess the question I've always wanted to ask a broadcaster, we can start here as it ties into tennis, calling multiple series in the NHL, similar I would say to maybe calling a lot of matches where you have to be read up and well-versed on, on different events. How are you able to just focus, lock into the task of the day while also you know, knowing that you've got other duties and responsibilities? That's well, just... You get you got to watch a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you got yeah. a lot of watch a lot watch a lot of hockey. You got to watch a lot of tennis if you're going to be covering the sport. I think that's actually the biggest challenge. Jumping back in, uh, usually I'm here um, at the start of clay court season, and uh, this year, uh, you know, with the NHL calendar pushed back, I had to devote time to that first. So I I felt like I was playing catch up on tennis. Uh, you know, in time for Wimbledon. But yeah, you know, covering the playoffs remotely, you know, it's always a challenge to do things off a monitor. I think tennis kind of lends itself to that. And even when you're, you know, at a major, you know, a lot of times you're you're calling matches from an outer court off of a monitor. So that's not, uh, you know, unfamiliar territory necessarily. Doing hockey that way is a little bit different. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a challenge. But, you know, I think uh, after this, I'm going to be going into my fifth season in the NHL this coming fall, uh, you know, you watch enough games, uh, you, you get to know some of the teams, you, you get familiar with styles, and you can kind of jump in, you know, yeah. uh, at a moment's notice. Uh, but yeah, it's a little bit different covering a series in the playoffs, especially when it comes to storytelling. I know you had, I think the last one was Toronto-Montreal Game 7, which had historic implications, mm -hmm. Montreal still going. But I think I speak for all tennis fans here. We heard you when you said it when Minnesota played Vegas and you dropped those references about holding serve and breaking <laughs> back. So we know the tie-in was there. Yeah. Uh, this Wimbledon, calling matches here from Santa Monica, different. I know it's it's the most prestigious event, I think, in sport and what it means to sports. Just to have it back, I know it's not in the traditional sense yet. We've seen the fans. It's been good. The, the coverage on the ground. So as we mentioned, we're here, but just having this tournament back after two years is vital to, uh, to sports and, and to this game in particular. Yeah. I, I think you nailed it. Uh, it's, it's not back a hundred percent. I don't think anything in our world is yet, 
but to see the scenes at the All England Club, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to be there two years ago, and uh, you know, got to experience it for the first time, and it it's so different because you watch on TV, and I think more than anything else, to see it presented as a as a TV event, right? You you grow up on you know Saturday Sunday mornings with breakfast at Wimbledon, right? That you know. And I grew up watching Ted Robinson, so to be able to kind of be <laughs> yeah. tag team with him yeah. is uh, is a dream come true. But uh, you know, to to see it on TV is one thing; to experience it in person is another. And and I would venture to say I've never been to Augusta, uh, but I'd imagine it's kind of you know people in golf would probably have a similar thing to say: is that it, there's a particular sound, there's a yeah. particular aura around it. And the thing that stuck out to me being at the All in England Club a couple of years ago is the noise or the lack thereof, especially in the outer courts. All you hear is the chair umpires and rackets, balls, and the surface. There's no uh, PA blaring around the grounds. There's no music being piped in. Uh, when the players walk out onto the court, there's no announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. <laughs> there's none yeah. of that. It's just they walk out, they get applause, and they play. That's very interesting that you compared it to Augusta, and it made me think of you, you have all that lack of of outer noise. It's just the pure sport, but you also get the roar when something big yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. I think yesterday Corda won a big point, and you heard a roar, and I, I did hear announcers say, "Oh well, I think Corda just broke back or something." So. Very similar to Augusta yep. when somebody big makes a play. It's yeah. huge to have this back. It's also, I mean, we talk about parity in tennis, the women's game. There's been lots of different results, but grass court, the shortest season by far, and there wasn't a grass court season last year. So as hard to predict what was going to happen this year outside of the the big heavyweights, Novak Djokovic and whatnot, but there's, there's a lot of parity. I think that's to be expected. I think grass court tennis in particular, favors veteran players more so. Because remember, you know, a couple of weeks ago at the French Open, you know, we saw a draw that was just torn to shreds, mm. both by way of upsets and by way of players withdrawing from the tournament. You know, with Naomi Osaka withdrawing, Ash Barty leaving early. Um, you know, Serena wasn't able to to go as far as she would have liked, and obviously, you know, injury playing a part here this year. But but I look at the players who are making their way through slowly but surely, and you know, sure enough, it's it's veteran players who have experience on big stages uh, and know how to handle big moments. And I think, especially in in the men's game, uh, you know, Novak Djokovic, right? He's been there, done that, knows how to close probably better than anybody else. Uh, he and Rafa Nadal, for for sure, and obviously Federer with uh, all the success he's had at Wimbledon. Those those are the guys that you circle, right? Yeah. the The caveat I would add is, as long as they're in form, in shape, their health sure. is up to sure. speed. Yeah. But especially on the men's side, three out of five, regardless of the surface, is just such a mental challenge as much as physical. Yeah, and you you brought up an interesting point because I think we saw vulnerability. From Roger Federer for the first time yeah. again, you know, as we're taping this, you know, Fed ju- just got through over Adrian Manorino and almost by virtue of the injury that Manorino sustained that Federer found his way through Andy Murray even, you know, we granted Andy is still coming back long haul after hip surgery, yeah. but, uh, you know, e- even he looks very vulnerable uh, I would wonder, you know, how vulnerable Novak Djokovic is. And I, I don't know if there's anybody who can make him vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, that, we might be waiting for a long time yeah. to see that. Um, 
vulnerability a big thing especially as tennis players get older have to talk about the unfortunate moments moments of the tournament none bigger than serena williams you were calling that match the short version of that match that only lasted about six games and some change but really unfortunate heartbreaking for serena to go out like that uh the slip i think you brought up the point that there was tape on that leg when she came out onto the court. Yeah. So it obviously Lindsay noticed it right away. Yeah, it obviously didn't feel like she was 100%. But to capture that in the moment where it wasn't a big slip at first, it was a little uncomfort, some grimacing. Ultimately, Alex, it led to her pulling out and just a heartbreaking result for her. Well, that's honestly one of the hardest things I've had to call uh, just in terms of you know the, the gravity of the moment. And I, I was questioning myself, actually, because uh, I the first thing that popped into my mind was, is this the last time we see Serena Williams at center court? And I, you know, I debated, okay, should I say this out loud? Because that's, you know, it, it's a big question to ask. Especially, you know, her sister Venus was out there age 41 and looks just fine, right? Um, but, you know, knowing Serena's recent injury trouble, um and just knowing how how hard she's she's fought to try to get major number twenty four, I, I felt like that was the first question that had to be asked. And, and as heartbreaking as that scene was, I know she does not want that to be the last memory right. on center court. But but you you, you start to wonder um, based on you know that she hasn't been able to be healthy for an extended period of time for a while not not since coming back I mean and she's been to four major finals since yeah. coming back from from uh, you know maternity but uh, you just you start to wonder and I hate to ask that question because I would love to see her win a twenty fourth major you love to see history you love to see greatness in the sport but uh, you know. Unfortunately, we're in that mode right now where you're starting to wonder. It's got to be a tough situation for you or any broadcaster because you don't want to make it seem like this is it, but you don't want to miss the moment or or not give tribute to someone that's done so much. And I think in her in her case, it, it's very very unfortunate that this is someone that's Wimbledon's been her best result. Came in with a lot of hype and a lot of optimism that if it's going to happen, this is the best place for right. it to happen. And the draw shape was shaping up yeah. to to be in her favor. I think a lot of fans were thinking that I, I, that's just my instinct was this is going to be the, you know, if I, if I get a text from uh, one of my parents and they both, they're, they're big tennis fans. Yeah. Is that what they might ask? So uh, it just, uh, it was, it was tragic to, to see that scene play out on center court because you want your greats in any sport any walk of life to be able to exit on their own terms, even in defeat. Yeah. And, uh, and Serena didn't have that chance. I hope she finds her way back uh, and finds her way back healthy. We'll see. The uh, loss to Osaka at the Australian Open was in a different category. She just mm -hmm. lost to a better player that's on the way up of taking the mantle. You just hate to see her body break down at some of these majors. And, yeah. and like Federer, getting match toughness and, and playing, it's hard to do. Uh, it's hard to replicate that. And, and it, it was also kind of a bigger picture thing. Serena wasn't the only one to have issues with this court, to slip. Manorino falls. Looked like that was a brutal injury. Yesterday we saw a few falls. Murray went down. Sloan went down. 
the core conditions, Alex, are, are a hot button topic. And I just ask, like, what do you do for grass court when it for grass courts when it rains? I don't think there's a quick fix for this one. <laughs> no, and, and uh, I got to look up a quote from uh, the head groundsman at Wimbledon who was talking about. It. I mean, it's, yeah. it's been the topic of discussion, not the least of which yeah. because there have been high profile instances of falls and injuries. Um, Tin Henman, who's on the board of the All England Club. Uh, noted that you know the the one element that's been different this year has been the weather and the weeks leading up there it's been overcast they've had a lot of rain so the first couple of days you know you, they, they have not had a chance to to see those courts dry yeah. out so even if even if it was completely dry the first two days I mean think of all the the groundwater buildup right that that might come up mm-hmm. um, you know when it when it's a little bit warmer they had to close the roof on day one for the first time yeah uh, so. You know, the, these are things that the players haven't had to deal with, and it's something the groundsmen have not had to deal with either. Um, the, the head groundsman, uh, Neil Stubley, uh, was quoted as saying, you know, it's a natural surface. There's always a risk that you can fall on it. And, you know, remember, the the reason why we don't play in the rain on hard courts is because of how <laughs> slick it is. Yeah. You can do that a little bit on clay because it's it's naturally a surface you can slide on. And you can slide on grass, but it's just a higher risk. That's all. That Manorino-Federer match kind of highlighted it, and it really, you don't want to say Fed was going to lose, but there were real danger there. There was real vulnerability. Oh, and, yeah. and the lack of consistency was jarring for someone who's been maybe the most consistent player we've ever seen. It's, yeah. His timing was a little off. And how, again, with Serena, how do you get that back without playing elite-level competition? It's hard for anybody, let alone Roger Federer, to play yourself back into shape in a major. Well, there, there's fitness and then there's match fitness, right? Uh, and part of that comes with timing and and being able to, um, you know, work your way around the court and around elements that present themselves. And you know, I think that timing just a little bit off for Roger. Um, you know, maybe maybe he can over the course of the next couple days find a little bit more. Uh, consistency with his timing but it's an awfully tall ask to essentially become uh, not that he's there yet but a ringer at a grand slam event right yeah. you know you come in from very little match play and then play best three out of five over two weeks that's a lot to ask uh, and especially when you're dealing with players who are uh, you know several of whom played two three weeks on the grass they're yeah. only at a really small tune-up in an event in Holly where you know, he's got a lifetime contract to play, but was out pretty early. It's going to be a tough ask. Uh, never want to question greatness, but if anyone can do it, we're, we're looking at Roger. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and Purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Uh, Alex Faust here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's up, let's up with the spirits a little bit. Talk yeah. about the most positive event that we saw, and that's Andy Murray's return. I mean, two wins at Wimbledon. The way he won, most notably how he continues to fight with the, with the artificial hip, with all he's been through. And if there's ever an indication like we're coming back to normal society, just listen to the sounds of the support that he had at center court what he means to those people. That was 
I'll put it this way. That's going to be as hard of a story to top at Wimbledon, just oh. Andy Murray's return and what he means to the British people. I would venture to say if you didn't know it was only 50% capacity at no. center court, no. then you there was no way of telling on television. Um, it was a fantastic atmosphere, especially with the roof closed to complete that five-set match over Oscar Atta. Um Andy Murray and his fight and determination endears himself worldwide to, to tennis fans. Um, and the sport is better when Andy is a part of it. And it was such a shame to see his career where for a while it was the big four, remember? And Andy was part of that. To see it derailed by way of injury because who knows how the the table the you know for the leaders in major titles could have changed if Andy was part of that for a longer period of time who knows um, but I I think it's it's tremendous for Wimbledon it's tremendous for the sport that he's back and you know what for any player to be energized by the support that he receives I don't think Andy would tell you that he's played particularly well first couple no. matches, but uh, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him to pull off something special here. I love that quote when he beat Bazisvili, where he said, "You guys are asking me, like, why do I? Why am I not retiring? Like, I just exactly. see the top thirty guy, and I'm not playing." Yeah, I don't, and I don't say this as a slight. I don't know anybody that's gotten the most out of his ability, out of his, you know, career. The big three are just such anomalies because of how physically gifted they sure. are. Murray didn't necessarily have those gifts, but still accomplished what he did. It's a testament to just how much work he puts in. And like we said with Serena before, going out on his own terms, that's the biggest thing I think when I'm looking at it is he didn't want to go out on the sideline in a whimper. No, and there was a distinct possibility that could have happened. You think back to that emotional press conference in Melbourne last year, we thought that uh, Andy was done, yeah. and he thought he was done. But uh, you know what? Sometimes you get a second chance. I will say, too, that that Murray, tactically speaking, um, you know, for someone who's won Wimbledon twice, he doesn't play like a grass quarter. He's baseline all day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily a winning strategy, especially with the way the conditions are this year. But you know what? He's found his way through so far. <laughs> It was just remarkable how down two sets to one in the form that he was, like we said, against, you know, taking a fall, sure. slipping, and, and still fighting a way back. The men's side is obviously going to go through Novak Djokovic. If you looked at the, the betting odds going into this tournament with Nadal out, he was a minus 110 favorite. Those are essentially Nadal, Roland Garros odds. Like, yep. that's the yep. respect level that he's commanded at this event, and I'll ask you this because we expect him to make a deep run, potentially go all the way, not a surprise. But I don't know with the history on the line, Alex, the fact that he could go for all four slams this year, the Olympics are in play. I don't think there's anybody more comfortable, maybe in all sports, with pressure, with expectations of what Novak is right now. You know what the most impressive thing is in Novak Djokovic's game? It's the ability to close. And frankly, the big three, uh, you know, with... Federer, I think, <laughs> first time, really, that we we didn't see him close was a couple of years ago in Wimbledon when he had... Yeah, it's like shocking when they uh, got... Right. Match yeah. points, right? Yeah. And couldn't get it done um, on big points. You just expect Federer. There's no problem. That is... Pro and you know what? You go back to last year's U.S. Open final. 
<laughs> the, the nerves and the tension. Like, how tight were Zverev and team playing for that five-setter? No, nobody seemed to want to we, take it. We all thought, wow, we've been spoiled. Right. Watch that. Right? Yeah. Because we're, we, we're just so accustomed. To, oh, it's closing time, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the hardest thing to do in tennis is to close a match, to serve with pressure. Uh, and Novak does it without any problem, seemingly, every time. So, yeah, I mean, prohibitive favorite, obviously, but I, I, I think the most remarkable thing, the thing we've gotten spoiled with is his ability to close matches and to win big points. Hubie Herkash was on this show a couple months ago, and I asked him about playing Djokovic last year. They split two tight sets, and then Djokovic won in four. He said, the guy just gives you nothing. <laughs> like, you're not going to get... You're not going to get anything. And if you look mm-hmm. at the sport of tennis where you can't, it's been said time and time again, run the clock out. Right. It's 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 too ridiculous what he's done to be able to keep that level from first point to last. We can look at the draw. We can look at potential matchups. But the task of beating this guy, whoever you are, Roger Federer, Daniel Medvedev, Daniel Medvedev all the way down, Three out of five is just is just hard to believe seeing in the flesh. Like that's where we are with this guy. Well, that's why it's a test at the majors, right? Mm-hmm. You know that that's why these these backdrops that have been the test of champions. You know that that's why they're pushed as far as they are. I mean, I, I'm just looking through, you know, my notes. Obviously, Tsitsipas is out. Zverev, do you you know he's he's finally been able to break through, get to the second week in a major finals, U.S. Open quarters in Australia, semis Roland Garros hasn't yeah. been uh, past the fourth round at yeah. Wimbledon. Uh, Andre Rublev reached the quarterfinal round, three of the four last majors, but first round exit in Paris not too long ago. Fed, do you trust that he can go might, that far? You might trust these guys to have their A level game, win them a set, maybe sure. two, sure. but you know. Do you, do you trust that them to have their A level game all the way through to a final and then to overcome a player who mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have wow. a weakness? Yeah. Um, I'm looking through. Batista Agun, okay. Schwartzman, we know that he he will fight to the death. Shapovalov, can he step up in a big moment? Like you, you look on down the list and you just ask yourself. Okay, who who who's actually going to do it here? Well, I, I'm not predicting this guy will, but I'm just glad it's a nice segue. Someone that's beaten him to see back Nick Kyrgios back mm, on the yep. courts um, doesn't lack confidence, doesn't lack honesty, which we're seeing. Uh, wins the match over Umber, who he had beaten in Australia. Another five set match wins that one nine seven in the fifth. The match that was suspended two days and says so not bad for a part time player, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, it's just fun to see him. Uh, we can we can table the discussions of uh, potential and what the expectations are, but to see him back, to see his game and uh, what he brings to the sport, it's just great to see. If I could strip away the only thing from Curios and keep the rest of it, it's the occasional tantrum. Now, and yeah. even yeah. even if you want to have a t- tantrums are part of tennis, right? Yeah. That's just that's part of it. But when it goes a little overboard and it becomes an embarrassment to the the sport or to the you know the uh the venue okay well then then you can but the rest of it keep all of it keep the honesty keep the uh you know oh my, he's he's a ringer at this rate right because he hasn't left australia since no. the start of the pandemic but he came back for wimbledon uh you know he's a member of the last eight club there his hand skills are off the charts uh, his creativity is amazing. And and frankly, when Nick is winning and when Nick, uh, you know, can 
hold it together. He is so good for the sport. So good for the sport. And honestly, I find myself, you know, you don't root for anybody. I find myself rooting for Nick to go deep because I just want to see what happens. I think when he's competing, you know, and that's the thing that he's good for the sport, win or lose, when he's engaged in a five-set match. The tantrums to me, I'm with you when they go overboard. I think it's just keep that competition level. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is when right or wrong, he has an issue with yeah. the umpire with Starts the fans, tanking. Yeah, and, no. and he just yeah. the energy level goes. But right. when he's engaged, when he's locked in, there might not be anybody more exciting in the sport. No. That was a great match. I love the fact that he has respect for this venue, and he decided, okay, this is where I'm going to make my comeback. And he's in that position in whatever draw he's in where you know these players don't want to see him because you never know what to expect. I would put him up against Novak because you know as well as I do that Novak can get frazzled sometimes. And especially if there's a distraction on the other side of the net of any kind, if he he takes that bait, Mm -hmm. okay, well, now we're talking. Um, So, you know, just something to file away. (laughs) Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Alex Foss, Tennis Channel Insight, and other players that have had their moments at Wimbledon, and we got to give credit to where credit's due. Francis Tiafo mm-hmm. finally has his big Wimbledon moment, uh, arguably the best win of his career, taking out Tsitsipas in straight sets, too. He follows that up with the win over Pospisil, also in straight sets, which you wonder if there's going to be that letdown after a big win. But Tiafo, we've been harping his praises, the game, the potential, his shot making. Starting to put it together for the first time in this venue and uh, really, really great to see. Decision-making. Francis, when when his strategy, when his game planning is in line with shot selection and playing within himself, the dude's athleticism and skill set is phenomenal. I mean, you, you talk about how, how Kyrgios has great hands and the, the ability to, to, you know, make shots in difficult situations. I'd say the same is true for Francis. Um, and I think for a long while he was trying to find his range. You know, he has a really whippy forehand. Uh, he has a tremendous drop shot. Uh, but it's a question of when do you go to that toolbox? And I think Francis this week has finally realize that you know what I, I don't have to go back there all that often I can I can play deeper into a rally his rally tolerance has gotten a lot better uh, I think because of the respect that players have to show uh, with those great skills I think that's where a player like Tsitsipas right you, you know is wondering okay how what do I do how do I yeah. hurt him uh, and Francis just to his credit was cool calm collected uh, never got too high, never got too low. Um, there weren't very <laughs> many low points in his first two matches. He hasn't dropped a set as as of this taping. Uh, I I really like how Francis has looked. Still just 23 years old. I, I hate mm-hmm. to bring up ages, but yeah. we've been talking about this guy for a while and still just hitting his stride. Well, I, I think, too, the part of it that, you know, 23 today 
is a lot different than 23, 15, 20 years ago. Of course. Even 10 years ago. Yeah. The fact that the best players in the sport are in their late 30s, and even guys who are hanging in the top 20, top 30, are playing into their 30s. Well, that's that's just fewer opportunities to climb the ladder, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, go back to, again, last year's U.S. Open final, right? How many opportunities might Dominic Team and Alexander Zverev have to win majors if they're not dealing with players who are going longer in their careers than, you know, most anybody? I mean, Jimmy Connors played pretty late in his career. Um, but, you know, we, we just don't see it. We don't see that all that often now in or, or we hadn't seen it all that often until now in this sport. The uh, the stat that blows my mind always is there's only three men ever that have won majors in their teens, 20s, 30s. It's uh, Rosenall. Yeah, yeah. St- Sampras and Nadal. It's like when's Even Rosewall played when, late yeah. in his career. When's a team going to win a major again? That's the hard one. Like, we've gotten the 30s part used to be that mythical number. Sure. And now it's like, when is a team going to win a major a again? Sport that historically <laughs> yeah. champions, first-time champions yeah. have come from teenagers big props again to, to tfo for what he did and how mm-hmm. he was able to keep his level up even when the guy on the other side of the net wasn't there he he stayed locked in for Sitsipas, it's six straight sets lost at a major i think we're going to look at that french open and think two sets to love still playing an incredible champion one set away one thing that i thought stood out to me alex is that he has a game that Sitsipas does where a lot of experts said okay grass he can do well there now it's a short season. He hasn't had the reps. Didn't play any warm ups. Do you see it coming together for Sitsipas at some point on the grass? Sure, why not? I mean, uh, there's no reason mm-hmm. why he should be held back on grass. I think for him, it's like you said, a question of reps. Uh, it's a question of tactics. There's no reason why he shouldn't win a major at some point, uh, because inevitably, unless. Unless they keep playing on into their 40s, you know, it's the big big three will eventually yeah. fade away. Uh, I think we're already starting to see that transition now with Nadal finally a human being once again uh, at Roland Garros and with Federer showing vulnerability here on the grass and maybe Novak's time will come at some point in the next couple of years. So the, the door is ajar there. Um, I think for Tsitsipas, I go back to the point about we've become so spoiled with the top players in this sport and their ability to close that we forget how how much of a challenge it is in this sport. Uh, and for players who haven't had the opportunity because the big three have stood in their way, well, they haven't had the chance to close out big moments, big matches, all that frequently. And I think Tsitsipas might be a victim of that. Yeah, still somebody with so much tennis in front of him. Oh yeah, um, I, I don't even I don't even put him in a category of just other young guys. He's special in a sense that he's yeah. been been breaking through. But it's tough. I mean, it's tough to rebuild after a, after a close loss in a final. And mm-hmm. again, the consistency that the big three, big four have shown, we do take for granted. We just expect them to make deep runs in every tournament. Uh, a lot of young guys. Before we we wrap up with some thoughts on the women. I mean, we're getting to that point. I'm buying my Sebastian Corda stock <laughs> as the top American of the future. Well, if nothing else, because he has to one-up his sister. <laughs> yeah. His sister, who the number one golfer, one of his sisters is yeah. the number one golfer in the world. The other is not too far behind. But the family that keeps growing, um, the family that keeps achieving stuff, 
Laporta beats Demon Hour, and uh, you know, there's a lot of hype on this guy for deserved reasons. So young, the way he plays too, and American tennis fans have just been thirsty for that next male to to be the guy. Isner's held the mantle for a long time, but Corda does feel like the heir apparent to what American tennis can be. Yeah, second generation player. Uh, so he grew up with it and grew up around uh, you know the, the sport at a very young age. I think for Corda, he has shown the ability to win on all surfaces, which is also something that's been lacking from American men's tennis. Uh, you know, we every time... Uh, we're in Paris, we're wondering, ah, when are Americans going to figure out how to play on red clay? Like, they got to go over to Europe at a young age. <laughs> it's, it's actually an interesting um, predicament because of the lack of clubs in the States that have that particular type of clay. Heart True is obviously the, the most um, frequent, uh, you know, slower surface that you encounter here in the States. We don't really have grass courts to a large extent. Um, hard court is the way that most American players grow up playing the game. Yeah. So, you know, not to use that as an excuse because there are plenty of avenues to go over to Europe, but you think about it nowadays, right? If you were to, if let's say you're 18, 19, 20, or you're, you know, emerging junior right now, and you're dealing with a, you know, pandemic era where travel is severely limited. Yeah. Well, you don't have a chance to go over there right now. Uh, and so I, I think getting back to your point about Corda, the fact that he can win on all surfaces uh, should be really, really encouraging. Th- I had to go back. I have to look at the note because I, I don't want to get it wrong off the top of my head, but I believe it was the first uh, American man to win a clay court tournament in at least a decade and a half when he yeah. won this spring. Yeah. I, I forget the exact you know year it was with the last winner, but it's been a long time. <laughs> We've been waiting for it, and I definitely believe that, among other players, TFO is another one too, but Corda is the next man up, and it looks like he's coming into his own. Before I let you go, fun chat here with Alex Faust on Tennis Channel Inside In, talking the beginning of Wimbledon. The women's side is uh, with Serena out, but she's not the only upset, the only seed to fall. We've already lost five of the, basically half of the first ten seeds are out. Svitolina mm-hmm. lost again today. Uh, Kennan's out, Benchich, name a few, Kvitova lost to Sloan. The draw's opening up, and we're going to have another opportunity for some of these women to step up and, and make a name, whether it's Barty coming to her own on the grass court, Sloan coming back to prominence, or like the French Open, Alex, maybe another unknown that seizes the opportunity. Yeah, and that's, you know, I think in, in a way it's the beauty, but it's also the curse of women's tennis right now uh, because, uh, there's a theory in sports and sports business that um, you watch for the uncertainty of the outcome, but you also watch because you want to see a winner and you want to see greatness. And we're lacking Naomi Osaka. We're lacking Simona Halep. I mean, every, everything's lining up really for, for Barty to take control. And I, I called uh, her match uh, this morning uh, against Anna Blinkova and didn't look great, but I mean, she got through and she'll, you know, She'll get better. She'll work with her coach. She'll watch some film. I, I think it's, you know, all, all signs point to Barty uh, picking up her second major title. It's also pointing to Coco Goff. And, yeah. you, you know, you, you we've gotten burned on this so many times by looking at a young player and saying, oh, so much promise, and, oh, they're going to be a major champion one day, and you wind up with a buildup that, that maybe exceeds the ability of that player as they round out and become a professional with Goff, she's 17, 
and she's a veteran at this rate, right? And she's yeah. on the verge of the top 20. Um, you know, like any teenager, right? You know, you're going to have highs and lows. It's how you manage that. But going back to our conversation about how young historically champions have been in this sport, why shouldn't a 17-year-old be among the favorites to win a major? Uh, it's it's just it's almost part of the heritage of the sport, and especially given what happened two years ago, there, there's no reason to to count Coco out uh, among the favorites. I think another thing we get burned on, or maybe it's that impatience where we want it now, like yeah, we want her yeah. to, you know, why isn't this happening sooner? And it would be it would it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for a 17 year old on the on the women's side of the draw to to make a deep run. Coco Goff is special from what she's shown and the progression. I love the fact that she makes that run to Roland Garros, but she's not satisfied. It, was, it wasn't it was a 17-year-old happy to be here. It was, I could have yeah. won this tournament. And there's also the sense, at least from watching her matches over the last three years now, she's gotten better every year. And it's not even just, oh, you know, like she just got a little bit of polish to her game. Tactically, too. Tactics yeah. and, you know, the, the headspace required to be a professional tennis player and managing days where you're not playing your best and she still has off days every pro does but they're becoming fewer and fewer and I, I just think about you know one of the lead-up tournaments um, coming in she lost uh, to uh, Sevastova after uh, winning the first set she was up a break in the second I, I, I think to that moment and say you know what I don't expect that to be an issue before remember a couple uh, her serve was an issue for a while that's been cleaned up. Her decision-making was an issue for a little while. That's been cleaned up. Body language became an issue for a little while. That's been cleaned up. So it's all these things that you would hope that a young player learns yeah. and grows and gets better at. And she's ticking all those boxes right now. I would I would agree with all that. I would also say, I mean, we could get burned on what we think is going to happen sure. based on the yeah. unpredictability. But... Looking at, you mentioned Barty, and the reverence that Australian players have for the grass, I don't think that's, you know, to be overstated. Uh, the other name that I'm looking at is Fontek. I mean, mm. she is somebody that's yeah. coming to her own and uh, I think can play well here too. But Coco Goff, with, with how she's played, with the absence of, of other top players due to upsets or, or injury or just not playing the event, I mean, this is, this is shaping up to be special. So I, I would say too that... It, it is unfortunate. Parity is good. We want to see greatness, but we, we have a lot of opportunities for that to still happen at this tournament. And I, I would say that we got to just enjoy the ride and see how this shakes mm -hmm. out. This could be Coco Goff's moment. It could be an opportunity for someone else. Yep. I brought up Sloan because she can, she's that dangerous player. Two weeks, she can be the best player in the world. Well, and you talk about headspace. I think she's in a much better place right now than she has been the last couple of years. She shuffled her coach uh, coaching uh, group and uh, a couple other folks on her team. And I think it's gotten her to a much better place. I mean, the, the biggest disappointment with Sloan uh, is that you know that the skills, the strength, the power is there. And it almost seemed like she didn't want it for a while. And you don't, you, you can't force that on somebody. So you have to go out and want it yourself. But it seemed for a good year and a half, kind of meandering it didn't you you questioned her her compete level based on the last couple months i don't think you can do that anymore she's in a really good space and and i think has recaptured a bit of that form she gets to the top 
like anybody, yeah. it's hard to want it again after you've got, gotten there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> hey, Dominic yeah. Team admitted yeah. this a couple weeks ago that after winning the U.S. Open, you put so much emotional energy into this, and it's not as much of a letdown as it is, okay, what next? Okay, I, I've done that. Uh, uh, well, I pushed myself to get to that point. How do I push myself again yeah. to do it again? Like, <laughs> it's, it's a hard uh, hurdle to overcome mentally. Well, the rest of Wimbledon 2021, we're going to see who comes out and who is able to pass the challenges, pass the tests, pursue greatness. Alex Faust, thanks for joining us here on Tennis Channel Insight. And we'll be uh, monitoring your progress. I know you're going to be working hard, calling the matches. And also, the bigger thing, working hard on getting Jack Eichel to L.A. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> no. It was worth a shot. I had to sneak that in there. Alex, pleasure as always. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll be chatting again for sure. You're very welcome, Mitch. Thank you. That was Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Podcast Network. Plenty more podcasts on the allnewtennis.com website. Make sure you check out the entire catalog of shows and episodes. We'll be back next week for more Wimbledon Talks as the final stages of that tournament get going from the All England Club. For Alex Faust, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week.